Welcome aboard. I'm Brad. I'm Eric. And I'm Scott. Welcome to My Ship Story Podcast. This is a podcast where we invite crew members, both past and present, to tell their stories about life at sea. So come up to the pool bar and grab a drink. Sit back, relax, because it's time for My Ship Ship Story. Story. (laughs) God, that was terrible. Uh, you've listened to a couple episodes, right? I've 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 loved them. I just listened oh, to a great. great episode with Neil, the guy from Brooklyn. It was so good. <laughs> it started off like I was kind of like, I don't know about this. This is not going to be, you know, because I just been I just been listening to this tearjerker one with this guy named Chris from the Philippines, where this guy yeah. like literally adopts him. And then I'm yeah. like listening to this one with Neil, and I'm like, where is this going to go? And then all of a sudden, he's really good. He's re- he doesn't know he's funny. He doesn't that, he doesn't know it. And so I've been I got the flavor of what you guys are doing and you guys yeah. are Royal Caribbean guy. I'm a carnival guy, but um it, it's been fun. It's been really good. Okay, can we start the show now? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I gotta All go, right. guys. Sorry, I gotta this go. is what happened. <laughs> it's over. I'm sorry. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It was Thanks. Great. You get Nick, more uh... ship people and then you can <laughs> you just keep you just start and just go. Welcome to another episode of my ship story podcast. I'm your host, Brad. Got with me my co-host bros, Scott and Eric. Eric, what's happening? Got anything going on? That was the driest intro I've ever heard. <laughs> but it was really fun. Yeah, start with Eric first. Yeah. Um, I had a great real estate day. I had a closing and I got another house under contract. So I'm happy. It's uh it's yeah, it was a good day. In sandwich between a really frustrating time with my parents. Everything okay? Yes, no. Or are they, they just, just giving they you just, crap? They, they just drive me crazy because yeah. they argue and like and then I'm in between <laughs> and then I'm like just don't listen to them and then I'm just like and one gets upset over one thing, one just you know, they're just at this, you know, they're in their 80s when my dad, my mom turns oh. 80 this year. Or 79, I don't know, I keep forgetting. All I had to do was go in and move some furniture. That's all I was intending to do. Two and a half hours later, I was still there, like trying to sort things out. You know, the best, it is the best thing is when you move furniture around when your when your grandparents are blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. That's not cool. Scott, what about you? Got anything awesome. exciting? Well, okay. So uh, some of you may know that uh, Brad was actually in town, and BB, one of our friends from the cruise ship, stopped by in Oklahoma for a couple of days. So we had a great time. Met Brad, BB, and her husband uh, Bruce at the at a barbecue place. Uh, so I'm just going to say this. Uh, we, we were having a conversation about wallets and belts. It's continuing to be a hard time to find a leather belt without the padding in between. That's not multi-layered with pleather, just a solid, thick leather, straight up leather belt. Really? Because I like to wear a belt that lasts, you know, 20 years or whatever. And my belt just broke a black one and a brown one. And I found the <laughs> brown one. And I yet to find a black. Two things. Number one, Oklahoma State Fair. There's a guy that sells belts. And that's where I always get my belts. And they just last Do forever. Do they have a big buckle on them? You can get whatever <laughs> buckle you want. <laughs> the, um, but, but, Eric, the bigger the buckle, the better. But the belts are great. And number two, I was super impressed with Bruce. Because he is the only person that has ever recognized my my stingray wallet. He called it right out. Brad pulled his he wallet ca- out and he's like, and I was just, and Brad goes, my, my mouth was hanging open. I was like, no one, I have never had anyone recognize that I have a stingray skin wallet. 
And I, I was just well, blown away. The funny away thing is that. that maybe I need a recommendation because I need a new wallet. So my dog chewed my wallet like maybe two months ago. So I need Google, a new wallet. Google, Google Stingray skin Stingray. wallet. Stingray. Okay. It, it, I mean, they're, they're awesome. So don't go anyway. to Walmart. Don't go to Kohl's. Don't go to, go, don't go to any of those places. I mean, yeah. it's, it's. Okay, guys, let's Wait, real quick. Let's, I'm excited because BB's headed my way too. So um I'm I'm looking forward to seeing her when she comes. Oh, BB was so great. Yeah. I mean she's wonderful. I just felt like I knew her from the podcast, and that's why I wanted to come down. I'm sorry for inviting myself to dinner. <laughs> no, that was but, awesome. That was great. But it was so great. She is just a ball of energy. Did you not know BB before the podcast? No. All right. Well, let's get to our guest. We would like to welcome to the podcast Micka Berman. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, hey, Micka, look what I found. Oh my God. Hey, look what look what I found. <laughs> well, but it's all yours is all blurry. Yeah, I know. It's true. It's true. It's, it's it's now, now, for those who are are can't see this, they're just listening. yeah. What, what do you you know what's about? great for podcasts? You know what's great for podcasts? Visual props. Yeah, that is yeah. the best thing for podcasts. Yeah, they um, really are. I, I am holding a book called Permanent Passenger that was written by our guest. Oh, awesome. I got a bet. Can you see this one? Yes. Uh, It's it's 15 British dancers in bikinis. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, Hey, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. First, we want to know, and I I know this is in your, this is in your book, but it's been a while since I've read your book. It's been a great while. So I don't really remember what was in it. Yeah. But, um, good, but I, I, I did read it. Pretty much. I'm going to be telling you my book tonight. So that's, perfect. yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. Great. I didn't, I didn't go back and review because I didn't, I like to be surprised. Yeah. Good save. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the first thing we want to know really is, is uh, how you got started working on ships. How did it all happen for you? Well, I mean, it's an amazing story because I could have never told you that I would end up on a cruise ship in the Eastern and Western Caribbean. I was a college kid. Uh, I had no idea what to do. I wasn't sure. I was I was coming up on graduation. Um, I'd always been in, in a class clown. I'd been like personality. I loved being on a microphone. I had a little theater background, but still I was coming up on graduation and I had to figure out quickly what I wanted to do. So what I did is during a spring break, I locked myself up in my room and I got a famous book that it helps people with careers. It's called What Color Is Your Parachute? Uh, it's a sold like a billion copies by Nelson Bowles. And it, it makes you go through exercises, write your obituary, write your uh, autobiography, figure out, do you want to oh. work with people, animals, outside, inside? And I just, for six days, I ran myself through drills and basically boom, 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 it came out with two careers, one work in the circus and two work on a cruise line. And, you know, having a dad who was a doctor and a mom who was a teacher, I, I couldn't see myself going back to mom and dad after all the money they spent on college and saying, I'm going to be in the circus. So I came on this incredible epiphany because, you know, I grew up with the love boat with Isaac and Gopher and Doc yeah. and Julie McCoy. And I realized after going through this exercise and when it said cruise ships, I was a perfect match for Julie McCoy. I was a perfect, I found this position, this cruise director, (laughs) cruise staff, social host, whatever you want to call it on the different ships. It was an exact match for me. I was looking to travel. I loved to be in front of people. Um, You know, I was a young guy looking to meet women. It had everything I was looking for, non-traditional job. And it was 
a perfect, perfect match. Now, the problem, of course, is once I realized that was how do I get a job on a cruise ship? I'd never been on a cruise ship. I hadn't been to Miami in my life. Um, I didn't have any history about it. And so I'm a, I'm a quick study. So I basically became an expert on cruise lines. I basically got cruise industry news. I started reading cruise, uh, reading cruise digest. I went to cruise conventions. I chased people in the bathrooms. Uh, and this is this is all actually the first uh, chapter of my book is about how I got a job on a cruise ship. And I ended up teaching a class in at, at NYU uh, on how to get a job on a cruise ship. And I'll, I'll tell some stories of people who took it, who ended up on Celebrity and some other cruise lines. But anyway, I came upon this incredible idea that the only way I would get a job on a cruise ship at the high levels was to basically make a connection into someone who worked at the cruise lines in the high levels. And since I was an undergraduate at, at Virginia and I went to graduate school at George Washington, I got the alumni directories. This was the old days thick book and i wrote over a thousand letters what year what year was this what where, what you know, year are we I, talking about the funny thing is listening to you guys i realized we were on the ships in the same time i was on the cruise ship i was on the carnival ecstasy in 1991 so yeah. early 90s same time you guys were doing uh royal yeah. caribbean i was on the ship and um i sent out thousand letters and i never expected to get many back i started getting letters back from people in miami I wrote specifically to alumni in Miami and New York, places I thought would have connections. And I started making connections. And one day um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Eliza Miami, who I had gone on a college trip with. And she said, you know, my mom meets a guy for lunch who works in the cruise line industry. It's an old high school friend of hers. I said, oh, you know, just what's his name? She said, well, his name's Howard Frank. He's the C. He's the CFO of Carnival Cruise Lines. Bada boom. I said, what? The CFO? I mean, this is the high, you know, you don't get higher. So anyway, within with that connection and with a connection into celebrity cruise lines through a UVA alumni, I had my trip booked to Miami. And, you know, without going into long detail, it took a lot of no's. I couldn't get through to, sec. you know, I would call the same numbers for seven days straight. I got so frustrated with no one answering the phone call. I would get in my underwear, stand on my table and make the phone calls just to make things kind of exciting. And I called the same people after months, after months. No one would see me. Finally, I said, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm in Miami. So I basically came up with the scheme of going to Miami, calling them, saying I'm in Miami. I can stop by. I got into a couple of the offices of Carnival, Celebrity, um, and that was it. I, I interviewed and I never heard from them again. I went back to my dorm room and basically thought it was over. I, I No one called me back. I tried to follow up. And then one day I came back from class and there was, this is the old fashioned, you know, machines that would beep yeah. red, little, you know, red, little, little red beep there, you know, it was, and I, and I picked up the phone. Way, but way back when you had to uh, go buy a thousand stamps and put them on envelopes and absolutely put them in the mail. That, yeah. That's what I said. I sent email. Big, what's these, that? Yeah. I would send big yellow envelopes with the stamps sent them to Miami with, I, I was, I was writing ideas for things you could do on a cruise ship. I was pretty creative in being, you know, really being aggressive bulldog. And I listened to the machine. It was Steve Smith. He was the entertainment director for Carnival Cruise Lines. He said, we got your stuff. We liked your interview. And we've got a job for you on the MSXTC. And like a lot of the stories I've heard, you've got seven days to get here. <laughs> and I was just, I mean, seven days to put it all together, pack my suitcase. And I was flying to Miami. I mean, Did you already I, have your passport? Uh, everything. Yeah, every, I didn't need it, I guess. But everything, everything was set. I waited at the airport. My parents said goodbye to me. And I was 
I, I mean, I would say to you that I was so excited, but to be honest with you, I was scared. I was nervous. I hadn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'd, I'd lied to get the job. They asked me, are you familiar with ships? I said, I grew up in the water and that's, I grew up in Baltimore <laughs> at, the, at the, I mean, I'd I never been pool. on a boat before. And I just basically lied my way into the job and I got onto the plane and I was so nervous. So I was shake. I was just so scared. And I looked across from me at the other, on the same aisle on a window seat, there was a beautiful woman, Filipino woman, and she looked like in her twenties and she was crying. And I just made eye contact with her and I talked to her and it turned out her name was Charlene Carabello. She was the production singer being flown out from Northern Virginia to star in the show on the carnival MS ecstasy. She was like a Broadway, she was an incredible voice. And we, talked to each other and we said, wait, are you, yeah, we're both going to the same ship. And we ended up sitting together and we became very, very good friends um, on the ship. But that that's the story. That's how I got on it. I landed in Miami and I was on the ship and it, it was, it was all, a, it was a dream from that point on. Let's, uh, let's get into a ship story. My name is Micah Berman and this is my cruise ship story. Um, ports. I mean, I loved going to all the different ports and uh, one of the things that was always hard for me was figuring out when we got into ports, when you were supposed to come back. And so I had to be very organized with that because I was in a ship that actually did two different itineraries. It wasn't just the same thing every week. It was actually the Eastern Caribbean, which was the Bahamas, Puerto Rico and St. Thomas. And then we would switch around and go to Ocho Rios and Grand Cayman um, and um, Cozumel. Um, but Ocho Rios was always a bit disorienting for a lot of different reasons. And um, for some reason, I got comfortable after about three, four months on the ship. And I was in Ocho Rios and, and every port had a special meaning to me. I had different things in Eastern, in, in, in St. Thomas, I would basically go and play golf. Um, and then, you know, in Puerto Rico, I'd go see movies and I had all these different things. Anyway, Ocho Rios was a place where I loved to go shopping and just um, there was this place, the uh, Jerk Chicken Center, which had prostitution going on in the bushes. I learned all that when I was there, but I would love to jerk chicken. So I would go and eat there and I just loved it, even though it was kind of weird with everything going around. It, it, it took me a while to figure out what was going on. But anyway, it was it was just a, a, a normal day in Ocho Rios. And I, I don't know what happened to me, but I got my times confused. I'd had lunch and I was starting to walk back to the ship. And when you walk back to the ship, you walk through a bazaar, you walk through markets. I don't remember exactly what it was, but a lot of the Jamaican guys are sitting down selling things and they're usually screwing around with you. And I was used to it by now, so I kind of ignored it. And uh, one guy on the ground said to me, hey, man, you're going to miss the ship. And I was like, whatever, I'm, I know what time I got to get back on the ship. I work on the ship. So whatever. I ignored it. I walked past him. Another guy said, hey, man, you're going to miss the ship. I suddenly realized I looked around and there was nobody. And that was really weird because usually when you're walking around, you've got fat. My, my ship had 2,600 people. people going. There are people everywhere. You're bumping up. And I realized that it was desolate. There was no one around me. And I was getting closer to the ship. And that's when it started to dawn on me. I looked up at the cruise ship. The cruise ship had everybody on the top of the ship. The ship was getting ready to leave. And at that moment, I heard the roar of the people on top of the ship. I heard the guy saying, you're going to miss the ship, man. 
and I started running. Because and you're I, the cruise director, right? I, I was. So I was a. I was assistant cruiser. I was a social okay. host. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was not a cruise director. I was under the cruise director. Um, for Carnival Cruise Lines, they called them social hosts. Basically, right. they had like two on the ship. But that and means all the passengers know you. Oh, they know me. They know me <laughs> yes. very well. I ran all the activities. Yeah, I'm exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, so now I'm getting closer to the ship, and I recognize that the cruise ship, everything's gone. You know, where people walk onto the ship, everything's taken apart. There's only one thing open, which is right where the cargo is. There's a square, maybe eight feet by 10 feet. And the cruise ship has started to move parallel away from the land. It is moving away from the land. It is now a foot away from the land. It's starting to move further from the land, the 70,000 ton ship. I'm running like Carl Lewis. I'm running as hard as I can now. I'm sweating profusely. People are yelling and screaming (laughs) on the top of the ship. And I'm running. And as I get closer, I start to realize now we're looking at about two to three feet. It's starting to get to the point where I'm wondering if I could. I mean, my thought process is I'm jumping onto that cargo area. I'm going to jump all the way in. So I'm running. I start accelerating. I'm getting right up to the edge of it. And I jump. And I, I mean, I would. I couldn't do this today. I would be scared to death to do this jump. I jump about two to three feet. I roll into the cargo area. And I land at the feet of the head of security for the MSX <laughs> who's like a 300 pound guy. And I don't know his name, but he's wearing a bright white uniform. He looks down at me and says, ID. So I pull out my cruise ID. I give it to him. He snarls at me and just takes it. And I've lost my ID now and I'm going back to my room and I'm just sweating. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm drenched. I'm emotionally charged because I almost just moved, the, you know, missed the ship. You don't want to miss the ship in in Ocho Rios. And I do know, by the way, at this point, I know crew members that have missed the ship and were fired. As the theme of what you'll hear today was, I had immunity because I had immunity under the captain of the ship and I had immunity under the cruise director. And within a couple hours, I got a phone call from John, who was a great cruise director. And he called me up to his office and he threw my ID at me and he said, you know, don't do it again. And he smiled and laughed. I also had a relationship with the captain because I was called up to the captain often to tra- to read out announcements in English to the whole ship and became friends with Captain Gallo and then began actually tutoring him in English. And so I was protected. It was kind of like a little scary, but at the same time, I, I, I basically survived that. And I never missed another port. I mean, I was always on. In fact, I after I was on that ship for about a year, the cruise director actually said to me, hey, you know what? If you, this is unusual. I, I just kind of been rereading my book. If you want to stay at port, you could stay at one of the ports and you could fly into the ship the next day, which sounds incredibly privileged. Uh, yeah. I was incredibly privileged on the ship. I, I And I don't know if it's because I was an American or because I was second to the cruise director. But I had this incredible opportunity to walk on the ship, not in uniform. Um, They disembarked me first in the Eastern Caribbean to go play golf. I played golf on on these unbelievable courses. I got off the ship early and it was like a fantasy. I mean, I would get off the ship early. I'd take a cab. I'd be at a golf course and I'd be playing golf on the ocean, you know, on these cliffs. So, I mean, it was really a dream. But that was my first real, you know, run in with authority on the ship. And I would have many more run ins with authority, um, you know. (laughs) 
but so anyway, that's that's my that's one great. I mean, I have a lot of stories, but that was one of my really great stories. Now, wow. now after you jumped on and, and got into the night activities and stuff, did you meet any uh, passengers or crew that uh, saw you come on and witnessed yeah. that happen? And it's like, dude, how was that jumping I, on the ship? I, I think I did, but I, 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 in some ways, even though people did know me, I, I was pretty anonymous without my uniform on. Um, but when I did the activities, I'd wear my carnival shirt with the little pin that said Mika social host. And then people would recognize me and talk to me. And I also had a, um, I had a card for free alcohol on the boat, which by the way, and I, I should mention that in the, in the book, um, the fifth chapter is called, Is There Love on the Love Boat? And um, I dedicated the book to my wife. I said to, to, to Cheryl, the love of my life, please don't read the fifth chapter. Uh, because I mean, um, you know, a, a lot, I mean, I, I came onto the ship as a fairly shy guy. Uh, I mean, it may not, it may, it may seem hard to believe now, but I uh, don't believe, I no, don't believe no, that. No, I'm not it. buying that. Yeah, I'm I not buying not drink, that. I did not drink alcohol in college. I hardly drank. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. And when I got onto the ship, I was, even though I was thrust into such a public position because I ran all the activities on the, you know, on the disco, I would do all the singles activities. I would do the honeymoon activities where people would have to sit ping, ping pong tables and ping pong balls into their, you know, bikinis. Um, I did the hairy chess competitions, the male lingerie. I was so public. I met so many people. I had the dancers, you know, the, the women that I worked with were all, all mostly dance. I took care of all the entertainment staff. I had a lot of them very interested in me, but I was too clueless in the first two to three months of the ship until I started to understand the unique opportunity I had on this <laughs> ship to get an education, an education I just couldn't get anywhere else. And I got it from a purser named Chris, and I got it from a crew staff's cabin steward who showed me a photo album. And in the album, he said, this is the photo album of my wives. And oh, I did man. not understand because he had a wife. He was from Nicaragua. He had a wife, but he had a photo album of over 30 to 40 women all spread all over the United States who would be visiting him on the ship and he would visit them in their cities. And then I had this, this friend of mine named Chris from Iceland who was a cabin, you know, he was a purser. He just had this incredible knack for meeting women and, and having this incredible time. And he started to kind of talk to me and and it just was you know he said you know you got to drink a little bit before you go out you're a little bit nerd you know you're a little bit you know and now of course i'm drinking like pinot noir but back then i was drinking orange juice and vodka and um one night i got a little bit of orange juice and vodka before i went out to run the activity in the stripes disco stripes disco was the singles disco and um i drank a little bit i went out i had a little bit of fun i drank a little bit more and then after the event i would i i literally would go back to my cabin that's what I did. I just, I didn't really meet. I was surrounded by a lot of people, but I just was kind of awkward. And I was walking very fast towards the crew, going down towards where the crew quarters were. And I was rounding a corner and I was moving so fast that I didn't see that there was a woman, I say a woman, but it was a young woman in her twenties who was coming around the opposite corner. And we bumped into each other fairly hard. She looked at me and she saw my tag. And it said, Micah Berman Carnival Cruise Lines host. And she said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. She said, excuse me, where's the buffet? And in a moment of inspiration, I said to her, I am the buffet. Oh, <laughs> and I can tell God. you, I don't God. know how I said it, why I said oh, it. No. I just know that that alcohol, that whatever it was, it was an incredible moment. She grabbed my hand. She began to kiss me. And it <laughs> was crazy 
the that night, which ended up, I ended up taking her and we ended up going to, um, it was an area of the ship that had a pool for the crew. And I, when I say pool, it was like tiny. I mean, it was a joke. I mean, it was a real joke. Like no one would really go in that pool, but it, it got into parts of the ship where passengers couldn't go. And so we ended up there and we ended up just fooling around. It was an incredible experience. And it was the beginning of many, many other kind of encounters of fun times, <laughs> meeting people. And again, I'm still, I know you guys don't believe this, but I still am more of a serious kind of guy. And so I, I ended up meeting someone who came back a couple of times and then ended up moving to New York. And I tried to kind of be more, more romantic with her because I'm essentially a romantic um, and I'll tell you one really, really great story. I overlooked all the musicians on the ship. So I was responsible for their cabins, responsible for the, you know, everything, making sure the musicians were, were happy. And one of the musicians on the ship was a guy named Todd. And as you guys know, you become friends with people and then they can be gone the next week. I mean, you know, it's people yeah. get, I don't know if Royal Caribbean, but Carnival, yeah, they it's move the same. people. It, yeah. They don't move social hosts quickly as much, but they move other people. They're gone. Well, Todd was on the ship as a piano player for quite a while, and a woman came onto the ship, and he 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 met her, and he 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 kind of started to fall started to fall for her, and she came back several times, and I said to Todd, I said, look, man, I said I don't know what your plans are, but you you've got to go after this girl. You're crazy about her. You you got to send her flowers. You're gonna have to get off the ship. You're gonna have to go after her because this is the one. You know, he was just so spent with her. Well, anyway, one day he disappeared. And he was gone. The band, you know, he just was gone. I didn't know where he was. I didn't really have contact with him. So I just continued my life on the cruise ship. I would end up getting off the cruise ship, moved to New York City, and I wrote the book. Basically, I spent, you know, a couple months writing this book. I got the book published. It went out in about 2005, you know, and heard from a lot of people. A lot of people read the book, including a lot of people who worked on the ship. Uh, most people liked it. Maybe a couple didn't. I, I didn't use real names in it, but I think they figured it out. Um, and I'll tell you that because that's part of the reason I left the ship is the cruise director changed. But anyway, um, I got a phone call from Todd and he said, Mika, I read your book. I loved it. And I, I just want to let you know, I live over in um, Concord. I, I, I read your book. I loved it. And he said, um, I just want to let you know that that girl that you told me to go after, that's my wife. And wow. we have three children. I, I, I was just like, oh my God, I'd matchmake before, but I just couldn't <laughs> imagine this was happening. So anyway, he, you know, we, we communicate on Facebook or whatever, no big deal. And then I took my daughter to see a show in San Francisco, a Broadway show named Matilda. And in an intermission, we came out. And when you come out in intermission, there's like hundreds of people milling around and getting water. I go over to the water fountain to grab water and someone yells from across the crowd, Mika, I turn around and it's Todd. He comes over to me. He's like, don't move. I'm like, okay, I'll stand right here. I'm not going anywhere. He runs away. He comes back with his wife. She's crying now. She's starting to tell me stories about the cruise ship, stories that I don't even remember. Things that they did on the cruise ship because this is her marriage. This is her husband. This is where she met him. And she holds me responsible for having them together. And so it was it's an a incredible... good thing that she she wasn't the buffet girl. She no, she that's that girl was from Philadelphia. That girl <laughs> from Philadelphia. Yeah. I never heard from that girl again. I never heard from that girl again. Um, and so that was really a great story that came out of the book, but came out of the ship. I had a position on the ship that is a dream job, but I knew guys working 14 hours cleaning, you know, not getting off the ship in ports and they worked all the time and it was a really hard life. So, you know, I, I was very, very privileged. You were on the tail end of the of the Wild West of, of, of cruising. 
Yeah. And, and Carnival kept this going a little bit farther than, than Royal Caribbean because we, we were not in that era, even in 91, we were not in that area era of, uh, Hey, whatever you want to do, you know, yeah. just don't get caught. Yeah. And that, that was partly the result too, of our cruise director and captain, because in the book, I talk a little bit about the reign of terror or the reign of freedom. And basically that means that the leaders of the ship, I mean, if you're the, I had a cruise director that was the funniest guy. I mean, we go by Royal Caribbean ships and he'd get on the microphone and scream out to the, you know, right when we're going by him leaving Miami, he'd say, Hey guys, I'm so sorry. I heard you guys ran out of alcohol for the week. Or, you know, he'd be making these jokes. He was, he was hilarious guy he was totally hands off. He just let me do, he said, here's what you got to do, whatever. And he just, you know, he did, he was such a celebrity. He would come on. He was so funny, but he would come on for very limited moments and then he would disappear. And then he would just throw us in front to kind of deal with all the passengers. But we were real. we had free reign. And that ended for me about two or three months before I got off the ship. When all of a sudden we had a new cruise director and my whole life of freedom and everything, it all came crashing down. And I realized very quick, you know, I don't want to skip ahead, but I realized I had to get off the ship. So yeah, I, I mean, the, the the feeling on the ship changed drastically when, when management changed, whether it was your direct boss or it was somebody who influenced the, the, the how, you know, the freedoms that you had on board. So when the hotel manager changed or the hotel mm-hmm. director, the captain, staff captain, obviously in your direct boss, when those people changed, it could change the feeling of the ship if they weren't like the other person. And yeah. it was noticeable. It was very noticeable. You know, Brad and I talked because we we worked together in the person department. And, you know, we had some bosses that were just a lot more fun than other ones, That some that were a lot stricter. And, you know, and, and it, it really changed the mood uh, uh, yeah. of the ship in the department. Yeah, I, w- I was really lucky. I mean, the, I think the one person maybe who didn't like my book as much was my first cruise director <laughs> in that he was very good at, at uh, what do they call it? Fogs, mirrors, sh- shadows. He was he was good at setting people with kind of deceiving people kind of to send them away. Like he 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 was a politician almost. He knew how to get people out of his face. It could be a crew staff member looking for a T-shirt. He would be on the phone pretending he was talking to someone and there was no one on the phone. He'd say, OK, it's going to be there. We'll send them down. He just and so I kind of exposed a little bit of that. That's called about manipulation. Yeah, manipulation. And he would give out these little plastic you know, trophies that kind of looked like a Carnival cruise ship. And you'd think that they were worth a million dollars and they were like, you know, 50 cents and. So, you know, I, I really kind of learned under him, but at the same time, he sometimes would terrorize me because he would get in front of, you know, 2000 people and he would be doing shows. And right before he would go on, he would say, uh, I don't feel well. I, I think I'm going to have oh, you go on. No. And I would be terrified because <laughs> I was used to going in front of crowds of 50, 100, but I had right. never done the whole ship. And he and on the last minute, he would run out. But I didn't have a routine like he had it. So, you know, it was really it, it was. It was really scary. But um, look, I mean, I had a dream. It was a dream. I mean, it was a dream come true. It was uh, I, I'm passionate about working on cruise ships. When I got off in New York, I taught a class how to get a job on a cruise ship. Then I taught a, a class on how to publish a book. And I always love, you know, I, I remembered I got a letter from a guy who ended up working for um, it's in my book. There's a letter from him. I, it wasn't celebrity. It might have been. Oh, it was the Zenith. I think it was a celebrity boat. And he said, I want to thank you so much for your class. I'm about to get on the ship as an entertainment host for celebrities. So I just 
love that passion to teach, you know, to teach that to people and to impart people, you know, just the idea that just go after it. I mean, it's an absolute dream. You know, one of the things about the cruise ship that I realized early on, and at the back of my book, I have the 10 commandments of cruise ship life. Um, and, and one of them is, you know, find a way to use your time. Because I realized early on in my position, I had a lot of time on the ship. And for some people, that meant taking the cash that they got paid in and going to Puerto Rico and, and gambling. For me, I didn't want that ship to be that for me. And I wanted to figure out a way to use my time. So I did three really interesting things. First of all, I read the works of Shakespeare. This is crazy. I had a book on Shakespeare and I read the whole book. This was my oh, only God. opportunity. The second uh. thing I did was I read the Bible from front to back. I was So this is why I'm saying I was a little bit odd on the ship. Because I was reading the Bible, I was reading Shakespeare, and then I was doing my third biggest thing I did was I was weak and thin. When I came on the cruise ship, I weighed 135 pounds. Wow. And I had always been thin in, high, in, in elementary school and middle school. I was never beaten up because I was always a clown. So people loved me and I used humor to get around it. But I realized on the cruise ship, I have an opportunity to change my body. So I started going to the gym, which is on the upper levels of the ship, right below the track, eat double portions of food right. and do not move. Do not move. The idea was do not burn off. So don't run. Don't do anything of exercise. Just eat, lift weights, do your job. So I did that for a couple months. I'd go up to the gym and I started lifting weights and nothing happened. I was thin. I wasn't getting stronger. Nothing was happening. At about two to three months, I checked the mirror out as I was leaving the gym one day. I always look in the mirror in the locker room and I started to notice. Was oh, so it one of my, the, cur the curvy ones like in the, in the fairs? Where <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. This is a real mirror. Yeah, yeah. Real mirror. And my body was starting to change. It was almost unreal. I started to see that I was changing from like an ectomorph to like a mesomorph. Like my body physically was changing. And that, of course, was a drug. I started going to the gym more and more. And then what happened was I started getting physically and emotionally weak, so weak. My whole body, I, I talk about this in the book, my whole body was drained. I could hardly lift my arms. I got to a moment where I could hardly talk. I was so drained and my body was physically changing. Like, And I don't say the Incredible Hulk because I wasn't. But I mean, I can't show you, but this is a picture. I don't know why I'm, I'm, this is a picture of me. It's in the book. I'm totally thin and weak. And then a month, two months later, my body started sculpting. I got up to about 155. Right. I started getting closer to 160. I started bench pressing 200 pounds. I was starting to bench press two bar, um, you know, the, the two things, which is 225. It's like the golden, it's the golden area of weightlifting. And I changed my body. And this came at the same time that I was starting to get an education in terms of coning. And I was getting looks on the, I always saw the Italian officers in their whites. The first day I saw them walking down the promenades with women on, you know, blonde, beautiful women on their arms. And I never had anyone look at me. But after that, I started getting these looks from, from women. And I started, it was just like magical. So I basically changed my body. So that's what I did on the ship. I used my time. I also watched about 400 to 500 movies. Um, I realized that when we came into port, something that a lot of people don't know who don't work on cruise ships is you don't go to a port and get and rent a movie. You rent like 10 movies and you can get them for like a month. You don't, they don't give you, they, they, you know, and then there was this market on the ship between crew members where we would exchange DVDs. 
And uh, so it was just like this whole kind of secret world that I wasn't aware of. But I, I really used my time wisely. I tried to save some money. Um, so it wasn't just a, a, a life of debauchery. I, I really was a little bit different. On Carnival, did you have just as many TV shows like Benny Hill and uh, Mr. Bean that we did? Because <laughs> that's where I was entered. Well, I mean, Benny, Benny Hill, I, I, I like from before, uh, oh, but yeah. I never heard of Mr. Bean until we got on the cruise ship. And I was like, this freaking guy is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had we had a lot of that stuff playing. We also I also made videos. Um, so it was my responsibility with the DJ on the ship to make videos promoting things on the ship and promoting the islands. So I was constantly the MC. We'd go around the ship and I'd be like, hey, it's Micah here. And we're done. And so we have this fun time doing all these things. And what was your videos. what was your favorite uh, activity to host, like bingo, horse racing or um, I, belly you know, flop I, or whatever? I, I love the activity in the Stripes Disco where the women would blow up a balloon, put it between their legs. And then we would pick a guy. I'm sorry, the guy would put the balloon between their legs. Then we would pick a woman. And then the woman would come out and there'd be four guys with balloons between their legs, four women. And the women had to jump, like bounce up and down with their butts onto the balloons to see who could pop the balloon first. So that was always that. That was that. Yeah, that was kind of a provocative fun. And I had a lot of friends who came on the ship. We were allowed to bring relatives, but we were able to bring basically friends that vary like half cost or less as relatives. And I had friends. So I would set up a lot of my friends to come on the ship and I would kind of pick them. And then I would pick, you know, the most beautiful woman. So we had a lot of fun, but I mean, I love the hairy chest competition, um, male lingerie. I mean, I don't know if they do, would do this today, but they had male lingerie where the guys would come out wearing lingerie and it'd be a crowd of 700 people screaming and Brad. shouting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had Brad on video doing yep. that. And then, uh, I, I will, what was I will, your what was your worst activity? I worked backstage of the shows. The dancers were all women, but and two gay guys, and I was back there as the straight guy working the lights. And the women never; they just were naked. It was incredible being backstage. I mean, I was, and these are beautiful dancers. And these I did the same thing. I have carpet yeah. tunnel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like very hard to concentrate. But I mean, you asked me the worst. That's the, of course one of the best highlights. But worst, um, I think the worst was when John would threaten to, to put me out there with you know every. Act there was always one activity during the week in front of the crowds where he would call in to me on my phone and say, I'm sick. I can't make it. And I knew there was a crowd of 2000. Did he ever I, do that? He never did it. I, I never went on. He always came through. I had one, like I was this backstage. I was a stage staff, right? So yeah. we were trying, you know, it was, it was a mission for us to move into crew staff to go down that journey and stuff. So yeah. I was trying to, I wanted to go to the stage manager and, you know, which was technically a, a assistant cruise director um, position, but I had made it pretty known between uh, this uh, cruise director named Jeffrey Arpin and Ray Rouse and a couple of the other ones that I, I wanted, I want to get over my fear of microphones and stuff. So sure. they, um, with the one guy, Ray Rouse had, had decided that in the welcome aboard show, it would be, Hey, my name's, you know, my name's Mike. I'm the, I'm the DJ, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they, st he stuck me out there. Just go out and say your name. You, you work backstage, say something funny. Like, you know, I get paid to change, you know, take clothes off of girls and you know, that, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. Well, we we're hanging around Eric and, and Brad and knows this area, but we we're hanging around the, the pool deck bar uh, on the side of our, you know, where, where the black shirts and everybody hung out uh, at night for dancing under the stars. Uh, but this is in the middle of the day and they're doing, uh, I think it was Jeffrey Arvin that they're doing uh, Simon says, and it was the day at sea. So everybody was out there. It was completely packed, probably, um, I don't know, 80% of the people on the ship up, up there. 
And so on the microphone, he calls me over, Scott, uh, here you go. You wanted to do this. You're going to take the next two rounds of Simon Says. I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be right back. Here you go. Hands me the microphone and sticks me on the pool deck with 2,000 people. But I got to say, it's probably different on the stage in a lounge or yeah. in the in the pool bar because everybody's already had four or five drinks right. in. Yeah. And Good everybody audience. is like uh, just on your words on Simon Says. Simon Says this, do that. And they yeah. catch it on people. And, and I didn't want to get off the microphone like yeah, i thought that it. was the coolest thing in the world yeah i mean i i love the microphone i i i hosted the um the fly on acts the comedians that would perform in the lounge at the back of the ship we had a, a singer named duke daniels um great great singer would come on and um i always do the introductions i have to say hey you know so i loved working in the back lounge and and and, and working with these guys and i would have to do kind of a brief intro like and now let's welcome all the way from Florida. He's performed in all kinds of lounges, but I did a lot of different entertainers and I usually had a piece of paper with me, but I started getting confident that I could go up there and not really have a piece of paper. And Duke Daniels, one night I was in the back lounge and I was introducing him. And I realized as I was talking about where he's from and the comedy club that I forgot his name. And I, I had a crowd of probably 100, 150 people in the lounge. And I just kept prolonging the introduction saying, he makes people laugh. He's so funny. But I realized I did not know his name. I don't know what I'm going to say. How do I say welcome to the stage? So I got to this moment where I couldn't, has, I couldn't stall anymore. So I just said, welcome to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. And I and he came up and he he just he didn't blink an eye. He just did his set. After the set, he came up to me. And he said, Mika, I knew right away that you forgot my name. He said, I was watching you and I could tell by the way you were doing it that you did not know my name. We laughed. I mean, we laughed about it. So, you know, so, it, it, you know, moments like that. And, and it just I love being on the microphone. But um, it, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And um I actually think that in many ways, being on the cruise ship launched my career. I'm a voiceover artist, so I do radio and TV commercials. My life is reading scripts, being on a mic, going into studios. It's a really hard career to get into. By breaking into the cruise line industry, I was talking to my wife the other night, and I was saying, you know, I think the thing about working on a cruise line is it was so cool for me. I met so many great people. I built these friendships. And she said, you know, I don't really think that that's what you got. out. I said, well, I wrote a book about it. She said, I don't really think that's what you got out of it. She said, I think what you got out of it is you got the confidence to know what it's like to go after a dream that you can do anything. You broke into a really high level industry at a very high level and you got the dream job. And I think when you got out of it, I, I, I went to New York and I went to acting school and I started pursuing my dream of doing voiceover. And it took me years. Eventually I got an agent and now you know, for 18 years, I've been doing radio and TV commercials. And so, so how much I, time did you end up working on? A year. It didn't, a Over year. a year. It was all, sounds all like, that in a year. Yeah. I know. It sounds yeah. like you got a lot out of that in one year because yeah, we all work longer. And I didn't think I worked that long. I did like four and a half years, almost five. Mika, so let me let me ask you, because um, we're, we're uh, I think we're a little bit over time now. Um, okay. So let me ask you uh, two things. When did you meet your wife? And what did she think of the whole cruise ship thing? And lastly, before we go, um, tell us about your book and where to get. Okay, absolutely. Well, first of all, the love of my life. I met her in New York City. I was on a date with a woman who went to Brown University. And on that date with that woman, we were at a club in New York and I saw a woman dancing on the dance floor. 
And I had my buddy with me. And at that point, remember how I was lifting weights? Well, when I got into New York, I stopped lifting weights, but I continued drinking these protein shakes with milk. So now I weighed 190 and I was getting fat. So I was, I was starting, but anyway, we walked out to the dance floor to Cheryl was dancing with her friends. And my friend said to the woman, Hey, can we dance with you guys? And he introduced me as his personal trainer, because at this point, you know, so big. (laughs) So um, he said, I'm going to ask her out on a date. I said, I was going to ask her out. I said, well, I said, why don't you go? He said, I said to him, go out on a date with her. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, please, I'd like to ask her out. He went on one date with her. He talked all about himself. He made her pay for his entry into a <laughs> into a jazz club she came back he came back he said she's better when she's drunk he said some horrible things i said jeff i'm gonna ask her out so um i asked her out and we, we fell in love in new york and she's actually very sweet she's from hawaii she's the opposite of me she's kind she's quiet she doesn't think the book is she's a good writer and my book has gotten great reviews and it sold probably i think five to six thousand copies of it, it, it but it's not like a pulitzer prize winning book it's, it's really very easy to read so she likes it. You know, she she might have been one of the people who didn't like my most people that pick up my book are like, we could not put it down. Like people who go on cruises, they tell me they bring it with them. They loved it. But she was like, it was OK. But um, you know, she reads she reads like 20 books a week and she's reading like New York Times bestsellers. My book's a smut book. I mean, it's really it's a, it's really kind of a very low grade. It's a great book on strategy, how to break into a career. And it's a fun everyday story about how a guy just ends up on a cruise ship. Um, and it's you can get it on Amazon. You can go to my website, mickofthemouth.com. You can look on there. It'll tell you more about the book. It's called Permanent Passenger, My Life on a Cruise Ship. Well, hey, thanks for being on with us. This was, this was a really special for me because, you know, reading your book so many years ago. And then when I saw your comments on one of our Facebook pages, I'm like, oh, that's yeah. the guy that wrote that book that yeah. I read. I'm yeah. going to get him. <laughs> you, you got, I mean, I have to comment because that's Marie. I mean, she was a dancer on her ship. I saw Roger Blum every week or two. That's the, I mean, you know, and I was, you know, so yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm delighted to be on here. It's really funny because you actually took a more serious approach to working on ships than most of the guests that we've had. Yeah. And even like myself, I was not very serious on board. I didn't take it seriously. I read books, but I read, I probably read more books being on ships because I had more free time, but I read crappy books. I didn't read any sure. like serious novels. You tuned in very well to what you got out of ships and you also just were, you just took the job and you took, I think that that moment in time more serious than a lot of us did. So it's been a, a really eye-opening to see somebody who took that angle to working on chips. Let's call it there. We've got to, we've got to wrap this up or we're <laughs> yeah. just going to keep going forever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much. All right. Thank Thanks you so much guys. for being it with us. Nice to meet Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was cool. It didn't, it didn't go the way I was expecting it to. You know, it was still fascinating and super interested. Mm-hmm. It just was a, in a way, a more serious look at life at sea and entertainment and the, and, you know, his viewpoint was just very different from a, what the way a lot of us had. So I found that it's kind of refreshing very, very a little bit. Yeah. It was interesting it's and refreshing interesting. because, you know, throw the keys off the board, racing parapens and racing shrimp and <laughs> drunken, miss the, sh- you know, all I this kind of stuff. I feel like I didn't use my time that wisely <laughs> <laughs> after that Eric, you wasted your life. <laughs> I did. We've I discovered that he's wasted years. his entire life. Hey, everyone, the ship is about to set sail, which brings us to an end for today. We hope that you enjoy the podcast. For bonus audio and if you would like to see this podcast and video, please visit our YouTube channel, 
My Ship Story. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as My Ship Story. Don't forget to let us know if you're a past or present crew member, and if you have a story that you would like to tell, or if you'd like, you can email us your story for us to read on the air. Email us at myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. That's myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. Goodbye for now, and be sure to tune in next week, same time, as we'll have a new podcast every Monday. Bon voyage!